You are listening to Move With Radiance with Stephanie Dankelson, a podcast all about redefining your relationship to exercise, food, and your body by learning how to first redefine the relationship with yourself. Are you ready to discover your inner truth, your inner radiance? Because there is a more freeing way to be fit. Hello, everyone. This is Stephanie Dankelson, and thank you for joining me um, on another week of Move With Radiance. And this week, I'm bringing you another interview episode with my dear friend, Kiyomi. So excited to share our conversation with you. We go into topics like, or into topics of anxiety, into um, triggers around social media and social norms, and kind of these outside pressures that we're seeing to, you know, be a specific way, and how to go inward and start asking ourselves those hard questions and topics around reconnecting with our body and, and what that means. So, So excited to share this episode with you today. A couple of things before we dive in. One, I am still offering free 30-minute coaching sessions to see if you and I would be a good fit for the entire Move With Radiance package, which is totally customizable to you and your um, current situation. So if you are struggling with body image, um, food, exercise, negative self-talk, if you've tried all of the things and you're still at the end of the day left feeling um, lonely and confused about who you are and where you want to be and you're tired of this back on track, off track um, mentality around just body image and food and exercise, please, please, please contact me for a free 30-minute session and we will dive into all of that. Um, I am putting a link into the show notes and that's just the free 30-minute session. Um, You can just click on that link in in the show notes and it will take you to a link that will show you all of my available times and you can schedule what time works best for you. If you don't see anything um, that works with your time frame, please reach out to me. Just shoot me an email, um, hello at stephanie-dankelson.com. Um, I work a full-time nine to five on top of this, so my hours are a little weird, but um, I can be flexible. So please let me know because I would love to work with you. Thing number two, this week in my blog post, I actually wrote out a step-by-step worksheet that helps you identify the things that you really want from this life. If you're finding yourself putting your needs and and your dreams on the back burner, um, this will really help you identify what those things are and how to make time for them in your life. So I'll put a link in the show notes to this blog post. There's a free downloadable worksheet that you can use to follow along and let me know if you do it and find it helpful. I guess I have thing number three. I am also toying with the idea of creating a free ebook for you all. And in this ebook, it will essentially break down how to deepen the relationship with yourself so that you can heal the relationship you have with food and exercise and body image. So be on the lookout for that. It might take me a little bit of time to put that together, but just know that some that is in the works. Um, and so now let me tell you a little bit about Kiyomi. Kiyomi Fay is a life coach, social worker, yoga therapist, and instructor. Once an anxious individual, Kiyomi struggled with obsessive-compulsive tendencies such as relationship obsessive-compulsive disorder, ROCD, hypochondria, health anxiety, and panic disorder. She personally understands the suffering and debilitating nature of anxiety. Through years of spiritual and emotional inner work mixed with intensive education in Eastern philosophies, psychology, and healing modalities, Kiyomi now dedicates her life to helping others in the journey of anxiety. Kiyomi has the privilege of teaching seminars and workshops in Fortune 500 companies, schools, and behavioral health hospitals. Today, Kiyomi owns an online business for individuals struggling with ROCD, where she coaches, educates, and runs courses on coping with ROCD and anxious tendencies. I will post everything um, to connect with Kiyomi in the show notes, and here is the interview. Enjoy. Okay. Hi, Kiyomi. Hi, Stephanie. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited about this. 
I um, have been looking forward to connecting because, um, interesting story, Kiyomi and I actually met through an improv class. Yeah, we did. We did. Back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, back in the day. (laughs) And she is doing amazing things in her work. And I think that we can have some really good uh, conversation around all the things today. Yeah, I'm super excited. (laughs) It would be really great if you could kind of start with your story because I love hearing about how people have kind of gotten to where they are today and the passion behind what you're doing in your work. And I think your work is so important. So let's, let's start there. So, um, a lot of my inner work and kind of, I guess, emotional, spiritual growth really came or really started to develop even when I was a child. I feel like it was kind of always there. I was really in tune with the world around me. I was really sensitive to other people's emotions. I was very sensitive to the emotions that I had. And, um, there was just always this heightened sensitivity that I felt toward the world and also to, to myself. And I didn't really understand that sensitivity part until years and years later. But I started actually to develop a lot of obsessive, anxious tendencies as a child. It was a way for me to deal with a lot of difficulties in my family. So the anxiety and obsessive thinking was a way to protect myself. It was a kind of a way to go into survival mode because as a child, you don't know how to deal with all of these intense emotions that you feel. And it's just a way to, to protect the emotional self. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I didn't realize that until doing a lot of introspection later. But um, kind of looking back on my childhood, that makes sense with the obsessive compulsive tendencies that really um, came about later years of my life. They were really always there since I was little. It was just a way to, to keep myself in survival. So fast forward a little bit. Um, when I was 16, I actually had a really big traumatic experience. Um, and that was the first time I really had any intense trauma. And my way to protect myself and go into survival mode, again, was something I had used since I was little, which was obsessive compulsive thinking. So I was kind of using what I had used in the past to deal with the trauma I was experiencing at the moment when I was 16. And so what happened, um, specifically because there's just lack of awareness on mental health and um, spiritual health and, you know, emotional health and everything combined, is that um, I really kind of went inward in a very, I would say, quote-unquote negative way, um, where I started becoming more and more obsessive, more and more compulsive, because I didn't understand what was going on. There was just so much shame. with kind of the after effects of the trauma that I had experienced. Um, So I started to develop a panic disorder, which was the first time I was really um, faced with daily panic attacks. It was just maybe like 10 panic attacks a day. I didn't know what was going on. Um, And that's, that's interestingly really where the spiritual emotional journey started. And a lot of times it's the difficulties that really bring up those moments of us being able to come inward and, and see what else is under there instead of using these protective mechanisms that we used for our whole life before. So fast forward a little bit more, I started to go into therapy, which was really where the inner work also started beginning. Um, and again, it was hard for me to get into therapy just because no one else around me, you know, was really in therapy. There's just so much stigma um, and so much shame around mental health, especially with what I was going through. Um, worked through a lot of stuff then, and then the obsessive compulsive tendencies actually started to transform in a different way, and it latched onto my relationship. So that was next. It was um, ROCD, which is the work that I do now with my clients, relationship obsessive compulsive disorder. So that's when you're really intensely obsessed with the feelings and the thoughts and the sensations you have towards your partner and your relationship. Um, started working through that, had a lot of clarity there. And then I started developing intense hypochondria, which is really intense health anxiety. Again, the same type of um, checking, the same type of obsessions, um, which is really, you know, it's interesting because when I look back, it's all of those intense moments of suffering and all of those intense moments of darkness that have led me to immense wisdom and clarity in order for me to um, help myself for the future, interestingly, but most importantly, also helping my clients right now. Yes. 
Um, I wrote down a couple of things because I think with anxiety and those kinds of like, I think just mental health in general, um, and and this internal struggle and not wanting anyone to know and Mm -hmm. the importance of going inward and being curious and like starting to feel those things because I think we start feeling like a bad person or wrong, or there's something wrong with me because I'm having these feelings. And it's like, that's totally okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And so much of it is right. The kind of this, working or living through life and seeing all these advertisements and all this media and all these stories and all these Hollywood um, ideas of how we're supposed to be and kind of this brainwashing within ourselves of, you know, we, we have to be happy constantly. There's no sadness involved. And if you're sad, we'll just suck it up or just be happy. Um, there's not this embracing of even depression. I mean, in a lot of cultures, some, in some cultures, there's not even a word for depression, second of all. And in other cultures, in depression is something that is so crucial in order for us to move through transitions, in order for us to come into a deeper um, place within ourselves, to grow, to evolve. And in our society, there's so much shame and stigma. I mean, we're not taught that emotions, difficult ones, are okay and in so many ways, um, a necessary part of needing to evolve in order to transition, to be, to change. Yeah, absolutely. And something I heard recently, which I thought was brilliant was, and I, I can't remember who said it, but she said that we need to give our emotions the center stage, no matter which ones they are, yes. because you have to feel the anger. You have to feel the sadness. Yes. Like we, I think, get into this place of, well, those emotions are bad and like you said, just suck it up and I don't need to feel that. But in order for it to run its course and for us to move forward and evolve, like we have to give those emotions the center stage. Yes. Yes. And so many of us have never developed a relationship to our emotions. And for a lot of my clients, there's this inner dialogue that the emotions are going to be too much. Mm. That you're going to end up getting sucked into the emotions that you're never going to be able to get out. So there's this kind of feeling of terror of, okay, well, if I tap into the emotions then I'm going to cry for the rest of my life and I'll just die, you know, there's kind of this primitive instinctual, which is not true feeling of it's going to be too much and I won't be able to survive, which is why so much, so many times we need that safe, safe container to be like, it's okay to feel. Yeah, it's okay to even feel this this difficult feeling right now, even for a second, even for a minute. Yeah, now I'm moving through that versus diving in for an hour with our sadness, <laughs> which we've been repressing for such a long time. And it's that teeny relationship with ourselves. When we build that relationship with our emotion, then we start to develop that relationship with ourselves and then the world. Yes. And I'm just curious from your standpoint, from people who, because this is really important. I have heard that before where it's like, well, and I've been there, you know, where it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel this emotion because I'm never going to get out of it. I'm going to be sad forever. And so my tendency was to suppress and suppress and suppress. And so I would find that my emotions that I hadn't dealt with were coming out in completely inappropriate or wrong situation Mm -hmm. Yeah, because... And it had nothing to do with the dishwasher being organized a certain way, you know? And so how, how do you, what are your, I guess, suggestions on someone who maybe is trying to take that next step in feeling those emotions? And I know you said one thing at a time, but do you have any thoughts around like someone who's dealing with that? Um, That's a really good, really, really good question. Um, I think first and foremost, there's a asking the person, um, as to why, um, why there's not, or, or why there's a difficulty in feeling that emotion. For some people, they might automatically say, oh, because I need to push away the emotion to get over it. And I will typically say, okay, how has that worked for you? How has that worked for you to push down or run away from an emotion? Or how has it worked for you to um, be mean or horrible to yourself? does that push away the emotion even more in a way where it starts to heal? Or do you start getting even more frustrated? And a lot of people will say, yeah, the emotion starts to get bigger (laughs) until it screams into my face and I can't do anything but to face it. 
Um, so there's kind of that like cognitive piece behind it for them to understand um, accepting is the way to move through an emotion versus resisting because what we resist persists, right? Mm. Yeah. So what's that relationship? Um, the next step is a little bit more of like a somatic piece of being able to take a couple deep breaths, start going into the body, going inward. Okay, what does this emotion feel like? Let's just play around with it. Oh, there's tightness in my chest. Okay, if the, if the tightness could have a voice or if it had a color, what would it look like? Oh, it's red. It's kind of like this like scary kind of like ugly looking thing. And I would say, okay, what is it trying to say? And they'd say, oh, it's saying that I'm going to die if I don't check or I'm going to um, leave my partner if I don't try to control my feelings. And then as they start to recognize this emotion that's within them, that's this kind of like red, kind of like weird looking monster, they start to begin this relationship um, in a way where they're like, oh, okay, this isn't too scary. This is okay. I can go into this. I can feel this. This isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, it's this, this monster that's red, but I know what it is. And it's that labeling. It's that labeling. It's going, this is anxiety. This is anger. This is obsessive controlling behavior. And going through that. And it's just, how can we develop a relationship with this specific emotion that's difficult and developing it through there? I love that because it is, I think, all about getting curious and then realizing like, okay, well, this emotion isn't going to kill me (laughs) or is it going to be this worst case scenario? And I think getting curious is so important to going inward and understanding like where these things are coming from and what. Yes, absolutely. It's that curiosity piece. Yeah. It's so much of that curiosity piece. I think for a lot of people, they think, oh, okay, well, I've seen people who have, you know, been depressed and they've, you know, spun out of control or they've heard of, you know, people committing suicide if they're depressed, Mm. which is kind of this, this scary piece for a lot of people. But what they don't know for, um, for a lot of people who are in that state is there's a lack of awareness or for so many times there's lack of help um, where the person is repressing or resisting their emotion so much versus going into it just slightly with compassion. And everyone is so different. So it's hard for me to say, Um, but there's that fear pace, fear piece of, you know, I'm going to lose control. I'm going to be like that person. If I feel that sadness. Yes, totally. And that kind of comes to, you make a good point. Um, It's in one of your videos and, if you want guys, you should go and watch Kiyomi's videos. They're so beautiful. Um, so beautiful, (laughs) but something you say is our reaction to the thought is more important than the thought itself. And so I think that that kind of relates to that. Yes, absolutely. It's again, developing that relationship with ourself and recognizing that we're not our feelings. We're not our thoughts because if we were our feelings then we'd be all over the place, right? It's, I mean, we'd be latching onto all of a sudden being angry and that's, I'm an angry person. And then all of a sudden you're feeling good. And you're like, I'm a happy person, but stepping back and being that witness of everything. And again, being creative, I mean, being curious, but being like, Oh, there's that emotion that's passing by. Oh, that's that emotion that says that I need to do something, but I don't need to do that. I have this choice. Mm. I have this power choice. I think that's a good word Mm -hmm. because I think we get into that place of like love versus fear and the path that we can take when it comes to our thoughts and how are we, how we react to the thoughts in terms of a love versus fear place. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for so many of us too, it's again, developing what is love. Mm. because for many people we've been taught that oh love is my mom telling me that I need to be a perfectionist oh yes interesting or or love is something where um my father wasn't you know there for my mom but he would say stuff that was loving does that mean that that's love because so many times our parents voices become our internal voices yeah so it's again now changing okay what does it mean to love what does it mean to feel good for myself what is a loving action to myself and it's kind of again developing that new relationship of like what is love 
right? Like within yourself, with your partner, with your friends. And so many of us believe that love is one way, but in reality, it's, it's um, almost like a, like a fake love where it's actually hurting us. Mm. So developing that too. And kind of, yeah, I think for so many of us, we've been influenced by what these things mean, like you said. So it's now like relearning how to like redefine that and know that yeah. it's okay to do so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Which in many ways like can shatter or break an identity yeah. within ourselves of like, this is who I was. Now I'm starting to think differently, have different beliefs. And a lot of times when there's a shift in identity, there's sadness because you're letting go. There can sometimes be anxiety in some situations because there's uncertainty. Um, but when you're shifting into evolving, for many people, you're going to have to go into difficult emotions. Mm. And that's, again, that relationship, that play with that too. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Can we talk a little bit more about um, what anxiety, like just digging into Mm -hmm. that word a little bit, because I think there's a lot of people who struggle with that. I know this is something I haven't talked about a lot with my listeners yet, but I identify and struggle with, um, anxiety a lot of the times. And so that's something that I've been working through. So yes. what does that look like? And can you fall on different, I guess, a scale yeah. for anxiety? And what do you recommend we do when we start feeling those? Like, that's a, that's a heavy loaded question, but let's just start with breaking down that word. Absolutely. So there's many different types of, as you said, um, kind of like spectrums of anxiety. Um, if you kind of diagnose it in the psychiatric world, <laughs> there's so many different forms of anxiety. You have generalized anxiety disorder and you have panic disorder. Um, then there's even another section of like hypochondria with this, which is health disorder, um, health anxiety. And then you have obsessive compulsive tendencies, which is that OCD, that checking, um, those compulsions. Um, and then you also have phobias. Mm. So there's so many forms of anxiety. Um, And, you know, obsessive compulsive behavior, because I work with so many people with that, it's almost like an intense heightened state of anxiety. It's like a heightened state of fear that has moved from just general anxiety of, oh, I feel really uncomfortable. Oh my God, I got to do something. Like, what do I do? And kind of becoming obsessive to the next stage, which is obsessing and going into compulsions. So you're checking, you're checking. It's like a, it's like a loop. Mm. You're checking your feelings, you're checking your thoughts, and then you go back into another cycle of obsession. It's like this, this wheel <laughs> that is like never ending until you break that cycle. Mm. Um, but there are so many forms of, of anxiety. There's so many forms of anxiety, but anxiety is basically a coping mechanism, an unhealthy coping mechanism that many of us have learned since we were young to protect ourselves, to keep us in survival mode. Um, it's a what I call like a false refuge. If all of you listeners don't know about Tara Brock, I so recommend her. She's an incredible um, Buddhist psychologist, but she talks about something called a false refuge and a true refuge. A true refuge is something that helps us in the long run. For instance, when we're feeling crappy, let's take a couple deep, deep breaths. We start rewiring the brain. A false refuge is something that we think helps us. For instance, controlling behaviors, Maybe going into becoming like this, you know, perfectionist or checking the stove, (laughs) kind of going into that. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but there's, you know, there's so many different types of of anxious behaviors for different people. Interesting. So anxiety, I I talk a little bit about these different like coping mechanisms rather Mm -hmm. than actually like dealing with the root issue. And so I I guess I never really looked at anxiety itself to be a coping mechanism, which it's so true looking at it now, like you, you focus on all of these other things rather than that deep internal peace. Exactly. It's an avoidance pattern because Mm -hmm. your mind has this false illusion that it's controlling something when it's not, you can't. So what happens is you feel uncomfortable about something or you're triggered. Mm -hmm. And instead of head on going internal 
and getting to the root cause, we go into our minds. We start spinning. We start going, how can I control this situation? Mm. And we kind of start spinning into obsessive behavior, but we can't, right? It's this surrendering piece of, okay, I'm going to trust that I'm okay, even though there's a lot of uncertainty. I don't need to check. Mm. I don't need to go into um, this obsessive behavior and trusting and then coming inward and developing that relationship. Yeah. But yeah, it's that, it's that coping mechanism. So what, if you're, if you are someone that, that does tend to struggle with this anxiety piece and you do sort of move into that, like, okay, control, control, control. If you start feeling those tendencies coming on, what Mm -hmm. do you say would be like one of the first steps to start developing that internal relationship. That's a really, that's a really great question. Um, the first most important thing that I have found most beneficial for myself and for clients is to just label it, mm. to just label it. Because once you label something, there's something that happens in the mind. The first thing that happens is the mind can actually pinpoint what's going on without spinning out of thousands and thousands of ideas. So the mind focuses. When we label something, we actually lessen the activity in the amygdala. The amygdala is the fear-based center or the part of the brain that's full of emotions. And fear is a really big part of the amygdala. Once we label it, the activity in the amygdala actually starts to decrease. Hmm. So it's almost like we're putting things in a box. Like as humans, we love to categorize that's a water bottle, that's a person, that's a plant, that's anxiety, that's fear. So once we start to do that, the brain can kind of, um, you know, categorize and disassociate. But the other, the other important part about it is that we can separate. We can go, oh, this is anxiety, but I'm not anxiety. I'm just experiencing it. I'm separate from it. Yes, it's moving through me. Yes, fear is really intense right now. It's really kind of clouding my vision. But this is fear, and it causes the brain to be able to separate from the emotion. And in turn, we recognize that we're not the emotion. We're not anxiety. Because for a lot of us, we're scared of fear. And we start thinking, oh my God, I'm feeling fearful. That means I'm fear. Mm -hmm. But when we start to label, we then start to have more power and control. Yes. I, I love that because I think... I know for me personally, I've definitely gone down the rabbit hole of like, you, you almost become not present anymore. Yes. And you talk about how the present moment, if we focus on the present moment and like, like you, because it's like the past and the future, I think those things can cause the anxiety also like trying to control these pieces But if we focus in the present moment and like come back to it, we, and label it and start like living here. Yes. That's where it's so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's again, that education teaching piece Mm. of, of helping people recognize that, you know, it's okay (laughs) in so many ways. I mean, like, it's okay. is such a, like, (laughs) it's kind of weird that I said that, but you know, that it really is okay. Yeah. That, that things really are okay in this moment as much as the mind is telling you it's not. And breathing is a huge component too for a lot of people. That breath, that breath work because it automatically calms down the automatic nervous system when we're in that fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another piece. Labeling and breath work has probably been the most um, important thing that I've seen when you're locked in that anxious state. Mm. Yes, I've definitely found breath work to be helpful mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. my own work. Yes. Eric's my boyfriend is always like, Are you okay? I'm like, I'm just breathing, it helps, okay? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's so good. And it's such a um primitive thing too. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's like something separate. We have to buy this thousand, thousand dollar thing. It's literally within us, which is the most incredible piece. We have so many tools within us. Yes. And it's always with us. I mean, the breath is always with us, which is beautiful. You can tap into it anytime throughout the day. It's always there (laughs) no matter what, which is so beautiful. Like you said, like the fact that our body can heal, like heal that, that pain, you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So something that 
Okay. Nowadays, I feel that there's so much pressure and so much um, is relied on in terms of like next steps or like, I think people get into this place of social media or, or social norms or all of these external influences Mm -hmm. to tell us what our next steps are or to Mm -hmm. validate us or, you know, all of these things. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how those kinds of things may be related or influencing this anxiety piece or this separation piece or that kind of stuff within us. Yeah. Yeah. So let me just kind of like, um, um, make sure I'm hearing you correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, is it more in a sense of, okay, like you're seeing these Instagram pictures Mm -hmm. or Instagram articles or whatever, and they're saying something in a lot of ways it can help us, but then a lot of ways it can also be something that's not good for us because it will start to make us feel as though we need to be that certain way. Is that what you mean? Yeah, let's do that. That's because I think that's so common these days. Yes. So this is the basis of so much of what ROCD is based in, um, is this idea since we were young that we've been influenced. It's funny because social media has kind of like changed in a lot of ways, but movies, movies have been the biggest influence in terms of our idea of love other than our parents and other than what we've seen personally around us. Many people with ROCD, um, have this idea that love is Hollywood. Love is these infatuated feelings of lust and passion and missing the person and them being the one and never ever thinking other people are attractive and everything like that. Um, That is actually a huge trigger and many times an underlying reason as to why people have ROCD because they think that's what love is. So with that being said, that's this external idea of, oh, this is what media is saying. This is what I'm seeing in Hollywood movies. This is what I'm seeing in social media. This must mean that I need to be like that. And so we get into this obsessive rut of, okay, I see that. They're saying that they're in this amazing relationship and they're in love and you know they can't stop thinking about each other, even though they're in the honeymoon phase. Um, that must mean that there's something wrong with me. That must mean that something's wrong with my relationship. That must mean that I'm missing out. Um, That must mean that I need to break up with my partner, which will hurt my partner. So it's almost this, um, this thing where so many of my clients look at social media and get triggered. They're like, Ooh, these relationships, Ooh, this love, this idea of fantasy or this, um, this Hollywood image of love, which reinforces their obsessive behavior because they think in some ways, how can, how can I control uh, my situation so I can be like them? Right. Like it's, it's so much of that. So I see that every day with my work (laughs) every day. And it's really kind of shifted in a lot of ways to us as individuals feeling as though we need to be a certain way through our body, through our looks, the way we act on social media. So it's such a like um, weird situation because in so many ways, social media is so good, but then in so many ways, it's again, that relationship. I have to develop a loving relationship with myself to be like, Ooh, this is harming me right now. So we're going back into, you know, developing that loving relationship for ourselves to be like, okay, I'm looking at this model right now. I'm looking at this person and it's a trigger and it's not good for me versus, okay, this is something that's good for me. Mm. in that situation. So I'm just trying to think of what would be helpful next steps for someone who may find social media or those things like triggering for their specific situation. Perfect. Yes. Um, for number one, recognizing that everything that what we see on social media isn't necessarily the truth. Just because you see someone that looks happy all the time, just because you see someone that's in love all the time, just because you see someone that looks fit doesn't necessarily mean that they are in a good state. Doesn't necessarily mean that they are um, even happy. So really recognizing that what we put on social media um, isn't necessarily the truth. And what we, and a lot of times for many people, we just put on what other people want to see. Yeah. They're like, okay, the world sees me this way. I like that. I'm going to keep adding that even though I have 
all of this shit on the side that they don't see. Mm. All of these destructive behaviors, all of these obsessive tendencies. So number one, recognizing that not everything you see on social media is the truth. Yeah. Yes. And I think that gets really hard sometimes because like you said, people try and post what they think everyone else wants to see them as. Yes. Yes. And so it gets triggering when you see someone who has the perfect workout and the perfect body and the perfect relationship. And you're like, why can't I have that? And then it starts that spiral yeah. of like negative self-talk. It's what's, what's wrong, wrong with me. Yes. <laughs> That's the underlying root is there's something wrong with me. And when we tell ourselves that we actually go into this automatic fight or flight mode, we actually don't recognize it, but the brain goes, there's something wrong. Okay. What's, what's going on? And we try to scan our environment, but because we don't have tigers around us anymore, we're scanning our environment in social media. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And instead of running from the tiger, we're trying to run into the computer screen and try and control and try and fix. Mm. So it's that underlying belief. There's something wrong with me. That is actually the basis of controlling tendencies and anxiety and depression as well for many people. Interesting. And so if you find yourself asking that question, this is, this is getting, (laughs) so if you find yourself asking like, what's wrong with me, yeah. what next? (laughs) Or like, what's such a good question, right? (laughs) Like, what do I do? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I, I would specifically say in that situation because this question such a good question but super broad of like what the hell do we do yes um and I can of course always say there's nothing wrong but that's not going to help anything but again labeling and going okay I'm in this state of shame or there's something wrong and just labeling and stepping back in that moment just for a second and giving some space Because whenever we have a feeling or emotion, we have three seconds, whether we can choose to further that behavior or we can take a different route. We have a choice. That's that choice again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So stopping in that moment and again, labeling, ah, here I go. I'm being hard on myself. Or, oh, this is the emotion of me feeling like I need to fix something. Yes. And starting from there. Yes. And then I think too, coming back to that piece of like, I'm not wrong for feeling yeah. this way. Yes. I think that in uh, what I've no- I get noticed this about myself, but yeah. when you're doing this personal development or this, this internal work, it's really easy to think I'm not doing this right. Mm. And then yes. you start beating yourself up about that. Yes. And there's, yes. my opinion is there's no wrong way to do it. There's not, absolutely. There's not even, you know, something that's like wrong or right in so many ways, right? It's just what we perceive it to be. Yes. But yeah, especially in the self-development spiritual community. (laughs) And I say spiritual lately. Um, But there's this kind of idea of like, oh my God, am I doing it right? Mm. You know, is it something wrong again? But then stepping into our body and being like, oh, that's the vibration that I remember a couple of years ago. Oh, that's that fixing thing again. Mm. Ooh, that's me trying to control again. Ooh, that energy. It's kind of like developing that relationship that I do with clients. Ooh, that feeling. Ooh, it's that red monster again. Okay, but that red monster has said this so many times before. Ah, uh, okay, I see you, but I don't need to pay attention to you right now. Yes. Like, hello, but I know you're trying to help me, but you know, this is not very healthy for me right now. <laughs> yes. It's that acknowledging piece too of like, oh yes, yep, I see you. It's I here. See you. I see you. Absolutely. I see you and hello. And I think for so many people, um, what our anxiety is trying to do and what our depression is trying to do, what our fear is trying to do is it's trying to help us. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to harm us. It thinks it's, it thinks it's keeping, it thinks that it's keeping us in survival. Like that's what it's doing. Thinks it's doing. In the long run, it's of course not helping us, but it thinks it is. So in a lot of ways that helps my clients to be like, okay, it's not trying to kill me. Mm. It's literally trying to help me, but it's, it's kind of that like overprotective parent. It's too much. Yes. I don't need this. This isn't good for me. Yes. Yes. But thank you for trying. (laughs) 
I'm going to take a different path now. Yes, I'm going to take a different path. You're being great, but this is a little bit too much and this is harming me in the long run. Yes. 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 Absolutely. That way they kind of start to develop a, um, I don't need to fear this emotion. Mm. I'm trying to kill me. Yes. And I just think this, this thought keeps coming back. So I'm just going to say it. Yeah. But I think it's so beautiful that we have that ability. You know, I think for so long, we think like, I'm not in control. It's just weird. It's weird when you're like, you want to control and control and control and you're not actually in control. It's just the the control. So false illusion. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the fact that like our body, like we have that piece of, I can choose to let this consume me or I can acknowledge it see that it's there and choose to take a different path. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is the most incredible thing. The same thing with our breathing is that we have that within us all the time. Even though that fear and anxiety is sometimes in the front seat, clouding our vision, we always have this internal wisdom within us. Mm -hmm. That's like, Hey, you're not your feelings. You're not your thoughts. And you have a choice. You have the ability to choose. And what incredible, I mean, what an incredible thing. We're not, we're not prisoners in that way. Yes. You know, we have this ability to choose something different. It's really freeing. It's really freeing. It's really freeing. And for a lot of people it can be scary too, mm-hmm. because it's like, oh my God, I have this power. Like, like it's so much. Yes. But it is absolutely freeing. I love that. So kind of taking a step back with, um, if we're, if, if we're scrolling through social media and we see something that's triggering, Mm -hmm. this is found, I found this helpful for me, but to, if I find that either a person or a photo or something within my newsfeed (laughs) is triggering me, we have the option to unfollow. Yes. Absolutely. We do. And to not, I'm not going to say not feel guilty about it because guilt is okay. Yes. Um, But of um, recognizing that that's so okay. Yeah. That that's so, so okay. And we don't need to be, you know, needing to please other. That's for me. Yes. I have a little bit of a tendency, a lot of bit of a tendency to need to try and please people. Like there's, for me, I will be honest. Sometimes there will be something on my, on my feed. That's like, "Mm, that's not that great, but I will feel so bad, you know? Um, but for me, I'm actually doing like a lot of boundary work right now, which is again, that a different loving piece of loving myself. Um, but absolutely having an option and another power to choose differently to unfollow. Yes. Yeah. And I think too, um, with this, like people please it or like you said something like coming back to the self-care, self-love kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think something, this is kind of a side note tangent, but I think important worth mentioning people feel, at least I have felt guilty in the past, um, actually taking time for myself and Uh, and working on this stuff. And, you know, people say, well, you know, well, don't put yourself, you know, it's like, well, if I don't put myself first, I can't show up in the way that is best for everyone. You know, Yes. Weird piece. This is so common. I mean, probably one of the most common things I hear specifically with women Mm. it's like I need to put others first and I'm putting myself in the back yes. without recognizing that we can't help the world fully and we can't help others without putting ourselves first yes I love that because it is a guilt thing again too like mm-hmm. when you feel like you can't help yourself because it's 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 a yeah it's a guilt thing <laughs> Absolutely. And asking yourself where that, sometimes that story comes from. Yes. For many people, it's like, oh, that's my mom's voice. Mm. Oh, that's my grandma's voice. Whose voice is that? (laughs) So we're kind of taking, I'm taking all of these different paths, but I think it's all related. Um, With someone, so say you have someone who then is having a hard time identifying who they are you know, they maybe have gotten to this place of, um, they're, they're now trying to work on the relationship with themselves because they've had all of these external voices telling them who they should be. Yes. Yes. How does that process? I mean, how, how would you recommend someone like they find themselves in this situation? Like what, 
what would you say that they should do to help? So, to help kind like, of develop a relationship within themselves versus yes. like looking toward an external way to tell them that says who they are? Yes. Okay. That's a really great question. You're so good with questions. <laughs> um, I do a lot of um, inner child work. Mm. So we have this playfulness within us. We have this inner child within us um, that's never left. And for so many people, that inner child has so much wisdom. So our inner child is that playful, creative part of within us that loves to maybe do art or go outside and play in the grass or, or go sing or go to like a, a dance show or dance and stuff like that. So whenever a person is in that situation or like a client of mine will typically do inner child work where we'll kind of go back into the past a little bit and bring up in a playful, loving way, what are some things that your child like to do? What are some things that little Becky, I don't know, that name just came up to mind, like, liked to do when she was young? And then they kind of start to go, oh, she liked to paint. And then they start to paint and they kind of go back into the hobbies that they used to like to do. And they find this internal playfulness that they had since they were young that wasn't um, told from an external form on them to do something, if that makes sense. Yes. It was this automatic, internal, innate playfulness that they had within that just came up. Um, and when they tap into that vibration, then a lot of my clients start to kind of move into another way of, Ooh, this feels good for me. And then I'm not doing this because social media tells me to do it. I'm doing it because little Becky liked it. <laughs> And then you start to, again, develop that relationship. So much of this is relationship work. But yeah. that's been very helpful for a lot of my clients of, you know, that, that playfulness of going back into the little self or going back into the eight-year-old self and then being curious again. Oh, what are things that I like to do? Oh, okay, I do like dancing. I'm going to go to a dance class. Oh, I really do like that. Oh, I'm going to be in the musical, you know? Kind of starting from that place has been really helpful for a lot of people that I know. Yes, because I think we've gotten to this place where we don't know what we like anymore. Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah. do I like that workout? Or yeah. you know, yeah. do I like this food? Or Absolutely. am I just doing this because that's what everyone else told me I should be yeah. like? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what a crisis point a little bit, right? Mm. For them to be like, holy shit, who am I? Yeah. I, I went through that many years ago where I was trying to people please and compare and Mm. be this person. I thought everyone else wanted me to be, and I was doing all these things. And there was one day where I was like, Whoa, like I am so lost. I have no idea who I am. Yeah. And so, yeah, getting to, I love this inner child. I've, I've heard of this work before and Mm -hmm. it's so, I think that that is such a good place where someone can say, well, when I was, what did I, you know, coming back to that playfulness yeah. yeah, and, and examining that because then we can start unraveling these pieces and learning how to discover what it is we actually love. Yes. Yes. And the inner child in so many ways is telling us many, many things other than, Hey, go play and do hobbies. It's also telling us that sometimes I'm scared. Yes. Sometimes this is scary. Sometimes, you know, I feel sad and that's okay. It's like, you're becoming this like wisdom or this like adult for your, for your inner child Mm. and picking her or him up and going, Hey, I hear you. and here versus shut up, go away. Because when we do that, the inner child starts screaming more and more and more until there's a breakthrough. I mean, there's a breakdown, right? We get to breakdowns and breakdowns in so many cases are very healthy because it's this point where the inner inner child goes, I can't do this anymore. Yes. (laughs) Too much. Listen to me. Yes. It's like the more you ignore, the louder it's going to scream. And then what you resist persists against that energy. It's that component of inner child, but also the physics. (laughs) (laughs) I love the science part of of all of this too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Wow. This, the time went so fast. I know. We have all these other, other, oh, I wish I could hear it too. Um, Well, before we end our time, do you have anything else on your mind that you want to say before 
Yeah. Um, I, I know we kind of started off the, the podcast with this. Um, if any of you are in this place of war, well, where the hell do I start? How do I start developing this relationship to myself? How do I start being kinder to myself? Or, you know, how do I develop this inner child work or any of that type of stuff? Cause I know many of this can be many times overwhelming. Um, is see if just in this moment, you can practice a sense of just kindness, even just for a moment of going, how am I feeling right now? I'm feeling crappy. I'm feeling sad. Okay. I'm just going to allow this for just this moment. And I'm going to tell myself that this is okay. So teeny little acts of kindness toward yourself go a long way. Just like teeny acts of kindness toward other people's other people go a long way. It's the same work within yourself. Cause I know a lot of this again can be overwhelming but seeing if you could just start with just one minute or one second, that's enough. Sometimes that's so enough versus hundreds and hundreds of hours of being mean to ourselves. Yes. So it's that kindness piece that will go a long way and change your whole life in the long run. That one second will change your whole life. Mm. Yes. That is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Starting from there. <laughs> and just, I think too, being like, would I say this to a loved one? Yes. And that yes. helped me sort through those thoughts. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Or would I keep a friend who was saying this to me? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like I, sometimes it's just like, holy crap. I would have let that go of that friend like so long ago. This is like too much. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. I love what you just said. Would I say this to a loved one? Because, you know, we're humans too. Just like your loved one's a human. We're no different. We're a person. So be nice to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Just even that one second, be nice to yourself. Oh, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, if people want to find you and connect with you, where can they do that? That's a great question. Um, because I do specific work um, with ROCD. Yes. Um, I know for many people, they don't have ROCD, but you know, there's still a lot of great information on there. You can definitely go to awakenintolove.com and you can find a lot of um, good tips, good tools good blog posts, um, and everything like that. Yes. And your work is beautiful. It's so needed. Thank you. I really appreciate everything you do and so appreciate your time. Likewise. (laughs) Absolutely. Likewise. You're an incredible being. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Yes. And thanks everyone for listening and we will all chat soon. Bye everyone. Thank you so, so much for listening and for being here with me. If you want more resources, pop on over to www.stephanie-dankelson.com. And until next time, stay radiant.